You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. Hello and welcome to the Southern Star's Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the editor, Con Downing. And I'm the Southern Star Digital Manager, Jack McCarran. Each week, we talk to people at the centre of the coronavirus pandemic in West Cork and beyond. We also take a look at that week's uh, Southern Star newspaper and how our reporters all around West Cork are covering the pandemic and other news too, of course. Also, in this week's podcast, Emma Connolly will be talking to CEO of Board Bia, Tara McCarthy, on the challenges facing the food sector during the pandemic and how she can't wait to get back to her native Clannacilty and walk the beach at Inchidani. And to finish off, we will have a musical treat from you, for you, the latest instalment from Clannacilty-based musician and composer Justin Ground's Lockdown Choir. But first, Jack, let's take a look at this week's Southern Star. Yeah, Con, on page one, our lead story is about the developer of a planned private nursing home in League being asked for over a million euro for connecting up to the local sewage plant, which is only across the road, which to my eye seems like a lot, but uh, I don't know much about connections with water treatment plants. Con, do you, what are you reading to this story? I wouldn't be an expert in that either, but it does seem from the story, all right, that the uh, uh, existing water treatment plant that's across the road may have reached capacity and it um, possibly might be better for the developer maybe to develop his own private um, treatment system um, it'd probably be a lot cheaper uh, than if um, he had to get Irish water to do it and he'd probably get it done a lot faster as well too I presume and the description by the developer Patrick Henderson of the cost is simply insane so a million euro is insane in anyone's money but yeah. especially in this case seems very much the case there. Uh, there's another story on page one which is quite scary, I thought, about a, a stabbing incident in Carrigaline last weekend, which is filmed and then circulated on social media. Yeah, this story is by Kieran O'Mahony, and the headline reads on the front page, as you say, more Garda resources needed for suburbs. And those calls for the increased Garda resources come from county councillors and the local communities. This story relates to, as you mentioned, a stabbing incident that was circulated on social media last weekend and I unfortunately saw this video and I have to say it was very unsettling. I wish I hadn't seen it. I don't know if you'd seen it but if anyone out there is sent a link I would encourage you not to watch it because this is a shocking incident and I can see why there would be calls for more policing after an incident such as this. The accused person in this incident has since been released on bail. He's a minor so of course his name hasn't been released and there's more information on this story on page two of this week's Southern Star with quotes from a variety of councillors basically calling for increased resources for the suburbs, as you mentioned. Okay, Jack, on page three, there's an interesting story there about an elderly lady from Bantry who lives within a kilometre of the local hospital and broke her pelvis. Yeah, this lady had a fall at her home, as you say, a kilometre from Bantry General Hospital. And when her family called for the ambulance service, they told her, they told the family that she'd have to be brought 80 kilometers to CUH as opposed to her local hospital which we've obviously have a story about Bantry General Hospital almost every week and there are always fears of a variety of changes that continually seem to come there but to ask an elderly lady to jump in an ambulance and go to CUH when her own hospital is only a kilometer away seems totally unfair but her family didn't actually call for the ambulance in the end they decided 
uh, as they say themselves, bundle her into their own car and, and drop her up. So obviously not an ideal situation, but for anyone mm. to ask an 88-year-old to sit in a, or lie in an ambulance or whatever it may be and go to CUH when Bantry is just around the corner seems unusual. And um, independent TD Michael Collins was to the forefront criticising the ambulance service. He called on um, Simon Harris to start to, 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 to do a review into the situation. Yes, I suppose he was afraid of is that uh, this uh, protocol that the ambulances are using now at the moment to bypass Bantry during the COVID-19 and go straight to Cork, uh, he's afraid that that might become the norm and that uh, it might uh, eventually lead to knocking Bantry completely out of the equation. Anyway, Jack, on page four, we have a, a piece on difficult days ahead for Cork Airport as uh, passenger numbers have plummeted and its parent company, DAA, is said to be losing a million euros a day. Yeah, well, Dalton Phillips, the DAA chief executive, is quoted in this piece and he says, this is the most serious crisis to have ever faced the aviation sector. And he's referring to both in Ireland and the wider world. So to lose a million a day is obviously quite serious. And there's talks of the staff of both Cork Airport and Dublin Airport being put down to four day weeks to try and stem the flow of or to stem the loss of revenue and I think there, I just read a, a line here from it. it says when Dublin and Cork airports last had that level of passenger numbers they had between 750 and 1000 fewer employees so that's referring to the fact that in 2020 there'll be 9 million passengers whereas last year there was 35 million passengers so the numbers don't add up there's obviously going to be losses and covid 19 has affected almost every business but it's probably the aviation sector that's been affected the most con yeah it seems a lot of people aren't too anxious to go back flying again um so i presume it'll be probably next year before a lot of people will even think of setting foot on a plane again and that's not going to help um, cork airport just the just GAA. just on that one con then i want to ask you um yourself obviously you travel quite a bit uh, I do myself I enjoy flying I enjoy going to the airport if you were told in the morning that airports were back running they're perfectly there is no delays or anything would you feel comfortable going straight back onto a plane to Italy or wherever it may be to follow Munster to an no. away European game or would you have reservations yourself no I certainly would have reservations and I don't think that uh, we're going to be flying until next year at the very earliest I'd say because I think I saw um, a journalist over in Hong Kong. She reported on her experience of flying into Hong Kong and the flight was fine like any other flight. But she said that when they actually landed in the airport, it was then an eight hour process to be let out the other end because you had to go through a variety of different sections, and which is understandable. But yeah. even a one hour delay upsets me in an airport. So I can't imagine myself sitting for eight hours. So I think I'd be like you. I'll avoid until it's back to normal, which who, who knows? That could be two Thanks. years down the line. Exactly. I think it's the safest thing to do. All right. Um, on page seven of this week's uh, feature, quite a historic photograph, Jim. Uh, it's of the big fella when he was a little fella. Yeah, it's a picture of Michael Collins on his first communion day. He's pictured alongside his brother, Patrick. Uh, this is some picture like um, we always talk about classic old pictures and they kind of shine a light on history and this one does exactly that. It's a picture of one of Ireland's most famous sons on his communion day. That's right, and a former director of the Southern Star as well. Maybe, anyway, maybe they have to. They, 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 just um, 
in line with that we might have to get a picture of you on your communion day into next week's um, Southern Star keep up the tradition maybe I don't know if it even exists at this stage. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. Uh, hotels are reopening in a few weeks' time. But the breakfast buffet, as we know, it looks like becoming a thing of the past, according to uh, Emma Connolly's article on page 10. Yeah, and I'm just going to read the first paragraph here. It's from the Celtic Cross Hotel in Ross Carberry and on some of the changes that they're going to implement to allow for their guests to still enjoy their breakfast to some extent. And they say there will be a time allocation for each room. 45 minutes given to 10 bedrooms for those opting to dine in the breakfast room and for those who are nervous at no extra charge we will deliver to the room in PPE or leave it at the back door uh, leave it at the door and knock there's obviously going to be massive changes in the hospitality industry in specific and this story just focuses on the, the, the famous West Cork breakfast buffet now for me I have to say I've never been a big fan of the actual Buffet, I like to cook breakfast, so it won't affect me too much. But what about yourself, Con? Are you a, are you a fan uh, of uh, picking and choosing what you like when you go and stay in a hotel? I prefer to pick in what I choose. I probably choose too much. <laughs> but anyway, that's because it's there, I suppose. Yeah, so maybe this will be good for our waistlines in the long run. Who knows? But obviously, yes, uh, yes. We're, we're joking now, but it's uh, there will be huge effects on the hospitality industry, which is obviously no, tough to see. No, but no, I think no. most of the hotels that... We've spoken to this week's uh, Southern Star, the Celtic Cross, the West Cork Hotel, Fernhill, Eccles in Glengareth, the Inchidoni, and the Blue Haven. I'd have confidence in all of those finding a way to work around it and bounce I, back. I would too, yes. Uh, I think they're making great efforts in fairness to them. And, uh, you know, it is vital that they get the hospitality sector up and running again and uh, the whole area will benefit from that. Anyway, we move on to our uh, next story. We go to the farming pages next, and we have part one of the findings of the Southern Stars 2020 Great West Cork Farming Survey. Now, uh, in it, farmers talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting their enterprises. Yeah, and um, the vast majority of them say it's affecting their business, like it's somewhat, it's not a major effect on their business. And anecdotally, I know from speaking to farmers myself, they'll say that ultimately the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't really had a huge effect on farming but there are other elements of the survey which the farmers have shone a light on and that's yeah how worried they're not too happy about how, how the, they're under the cosh about the greenhouse gas emissions no they feel that the attacks on farmers and i think you, attack may seem like a strong word but whenever there is talk of greenhouse gas emissions in ireland it's always the farmers who take the flack and the farmers that we surveyed feel that that um that characterization characterization is not at all justified and I guess they'd like some of the blame spread probably and they're probably right Con well they're dead right I mean they account for about a third of it and I mean you also have industry and you have um, the transport sectors that are uh, contributing as much if not more as well you know, but of, of, often regulated. It, it, it'd be easy to believe that the, the farming sector is guilty of 100% of it you say it's a third but the way sometimes it's covered they are uh, they, they could be seen to be causing a lot more damage than they actually yeah. are so I think it's an unfair characterization. Yeah. absolutely it is totally unfair because uh, they're, they're, they're not doing causing the majority of it and I think they're making great efforts as well to uh, to uh, cut down their carbon footprint with all sorts of sustainability schemes that are going so uh, I think um, they are right to be miffed about it uh, they're also asked uh, in the survey what would be their top of their wish 
wish list right now. I, I think one guy said a quarter of a million euros, <laughs> but there was quite a selection of answers to that question. Yeah, well, I think I would also have a quarter of a million euro on the top of my post-COVID wish list as well, but I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. But some of the other um, some of the other suggestions from the farmers surveyed are to the appointment of a beef industry regulator with legislative powers, um, more positivity in agriculture. So I think well, we need more positivity in probably every sector at the minute. Better, better and stable milk prices, secure market for calves, and better grants to encourage investment in solar alternative energy. Better grant systems. I would like to reclaim more of my land but I can't afford to and to get paid for even half the hours put in so that's obviously a big one for farmers they don't feel like they're compensated for the amount of work they do and if you ask any farmer I think they would say that to you as well Absolutely, yeah. And don't forget the results of part two of our Great West Cork Farming Survey will be carried in next week's Southern Star Now Jack, was there anything in the life section that caught your eye? Yeah, I think the one that really stood out for me was the front page of the Life and Community section this week. And it's a story by Jackie Kyo about a new style of schooling that's coming to West Cork. The headline reads, New Curriculum, Free School. A school which focuses on play, the outdoors and different types of intelligence to help children flourish is due to open in West Cork this September. It's called a Sudbury School. It's a different way of teaching. It's a different way of education in which students essentially run the school themselves now i was quite surprised and i'd never heard of this and i but I'd, i i wouldn't be quick to dismiss it either because i don't know much about education myself so i wouldn't dismiss an alternative um style of education yeah. i'd be interested to see the uptake of it in west cork it's already been a successful venture in sligo and wicklow so no better place to trial it than West Cork for the third Irish one but it's been successful in the US for over 50 years so it'll be interesting um, what what would you make of it Con would you have considered sending your own children yeah, there definitely well uh, you had your time back? To say because we, it really I suppose um, it, it does open up their eyes to things like nature and so on like that and a lot of extracurricular stuff but I presume uh, a school also needs to look after the um, curriculum uh, you know, including the three R's as they used to say, reading, writing and arithmetic. But uh, yeah, I, um, I the jury would be out on this one for me anyway. Um, but, the only thing I would say uh, though, the only I thing I would say on that though, Con, is um, like we've been to traditional schools that uh, all Irish schools to, to a large extent are, are pretty much the same and although it, it, it suited me, I, I enjoyed my time in school. There were plenty in my year in my class who didn't enjoy it. They probably weren't as academically focused they would have preferred to have been doing uh, more practical work and Irish schools don't really yes, cater yeah. for that so that's why I would say, say I'd, have an, I'd have an open mind for it because traditional school oh, yeah. isn't for everyone so this may be for some, some, some children and some adults because the ages range from 5 to 18 that will attend this school yeah, absolutely. Um, it's no harm. It's no harm to to give it a chance to prove itself to people, and uh, um, hopefully that'll happen in the next few years around here. Uh, now, uh, Jack Emma Conley's diary of a demented home worker reaches another milestone, week thirteen this week, and uh, that's a whole three months of driving herself to distraction. But she is celebrating this week. She is, and I just want to to say before we delve too deep into this, and I don't mean to offend any of my other Southern Star colleagues. But Emma's diary has been the highlight of my week every week. Uh, when the Southern Star comes out on yes. Thursday, it is the first thing I turn to. So no offence, Jackie, Siobhan, uh, Kieran, or Kieran, But uh, I get a great laugh out of this. <laughs> and uh, I 
yeah, this week, as you say, she's celebrating because she can feel the end of lockdown coming. And as I kind of agree with her, but there is an element of, um, I don't know if you feel this as well, but there's a, I have a bit of Stockholm syndrome um, for the lockdown. I'm so used to it now, I almost fear what it's like in the outside world. But um, Emma says, yes. <laughs> Emma says, of course, the fact that we're ahead of schedule has thrown my Operation COVID comeback out of kilter. I was working on a longer lead-in yes. before rejoining civilization, emerging from a spritz of anti-back spray, all zentan, and at one with nature. Now, at the very least, I'm hoping to still have time for a home hair, a home hair dye job, a DIY mani-pedi, and a serious session with the tweezers before anyone calls round. I also want to flag up that I'm officially done with the home baking, but there's bound to be a pack of biscuits floating around. I think a lot of people are probably going to be done with the home baking once everyone emerges from this lockdown. Yes. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of that, all right. And as you said, the Stockholm syndrome is is probably holding us back a small bit, and uh, we were probably taken a bit by surprise by the announcement of the speeding up of the restrictions. But uh, I suppose uh, we'll all be personally, um, you know, taking it easy before venturing out into the big bad world out there. Like COVID has not gone away; it's still out there. So we all still need to be very careful. Absolutely, baby steps, and I guess they, they keep repeating to continue the process of washing your hands regularly and properly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jack, for that. And uh, don't forget, if you can't get the uh, Southern Star in the shops or get to the shops to buy it, you can subscribe online by going to the southernstar.ie and uh, clicking on the paper uh, e-paper tab. Or also you can call the office on 0282-21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. Uh, this week's interview, Emma Connolly talks to the CEO of Onboard Bia, Tara McCarthy, on the challenges that are facing the food sector during the pandemic. And uh, Tara tells us how she can't wait to get back to her native Clannacilty and walk the beach at Inchidani. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us this week, Tara. You're very welcome to the Southern Star um, Coronavirus podcast. Jumping right in, I guess, um, it's pretty fair to say that the impact of COVID-19 on Irish food business has been devastating, really, I suppose. I mean, just like throughout Europe. Um, three months in um, or more, how are things kind of looking generally from where from where you are now, Tara? Is there any positivity emerging? Well, it's been a huge challenge, I guess, Emma, when you put it into context, it's a global pandemic. Um, it's hit every single market, more or less, around the world. It's hit the markets that Ireland sells a lot of its exports to. It's hit its home market as well, where consumption patterns have completely been distorted over the last three three plus months. If I look at it from the perspective of um, the sector hit hardest, it's food service, uh, where the outlets themselves have been closed um, as they then look to, to practice uh, the introduction of social distancing and the the slow reopening of them. But I guess what um, we're finding is that that closure of one of the significant routes to market for the Irish food and drink industry has had a huge impact on every single sector then. Uh, You can see how it's affected our farmers because if you look at, um, and they've probably been the most uh, hit the hardest and uh, most quickly, if I look at it from um, dairy farmers, you can see that their price per cent per litre has gone back two cent um, a litre for March and again another cent a litre for April and this is coming at a time when they're in peak production and when Ireland Inc. is expecting... um, 
record yields that we're we're thinking and and forecasting that this our production will be at over eight billion liters for the very first time in Ireland's history. So you know we've had good demand from the perspective of butter. You've got uh, challenges though on anything you'd expect to find in food service. So some cheese, different skimmed milk powders, etc. They've um, some of them have been. I guess, quite sensitive and volatile. But there is, I guess, if I look forward, um, some calming in the market. Similarly for our beef producers, um, they've had a, a, a huge hit that they're running anything up to 25 cents a kilo behind last year. And last year was not a record year for, for beef by any manner of means. And the challenge for, for beef is that, again, six, roughly, and, and again, I'm giving you ballpark figures here, but roughly yeah. 60% of the total volume of Irish beef is normally sold into food service or manufacturing channels. And when you think of that, food service would take around half of the steaks that Ireland produces. So if you look then at just the carcass of an animal, um, steaks represent just 15% of the weight of that but they represent mm-hmm. around 40% of the value. So when you look at balancing that value volume regime, you'll see farmers challenge to say, I hear that supermarkets are selling way more than normal. Surely this should compensate for the loss of food service. But the challenge is what they're selling isn't what you would buy in food service. So traditionally you would you would sell steaks or eat a steak in a restaurant, you'd buy more often than not mints in your um, in your retailer. They don't cost the same. Now, I have to say there, and you're uh, asking, is there any good news out there? The market is evolving. Consumers are starting to buy steaks. They are. The weather has been so fantastic throughout Europe. Yes, so consumers true. are starting a barbecue season, which normally maybe in Ireland, we wouldn't be so used to uh, May barbecues. Mm-hmm. Um, that has helped to take uh, some of the volume of, of stakes. Retailers have been very supportive in pushing more promotions through stakes as well. So you're seeing a little bit of a, a recovery in the prices more recently for, for beef as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there has been some challenges in, in our primary industry, but every sector, if you look at alcohol, it's been the exact same. You know, pubs well, are closed. Uh, as, you, um, as you said, it's, so it's, a, global, it, it's a global pandemic. It's, it's I guess global. people look to... Um, People look to board Beatar and I guess it lands on your desk for then some solutions or supports. Um, have you been, you've obviously been having, you know, having to come up with, with ideas to support these sectors. Anything in particular for the farmers or for the food service sector? Yeah, we published last week a white paper on the future of food yes. service where we're trying to map out the different scenarios because, um, as you know well, Emma, when, you, when you're looking at this, if you've to have two metres between yourself and, and a customer, um, what's the impact that that's going to have on your business? And what we're trying mm-hmm. to, um, I guess, put a light on is not either talk up or talk down, but what we're really trying to do is help companies navigate their way because this is all about navigating change. Um, it's, it's a side swipe that no amount of risk planning could, I think, have companies deeply understanding it. So what we're trying to do is put a little bit of a light of what are the options there. So clearly sure. there's going to be an awful lot of training of staff required um, with regard to how you're going to open a new food service. There's going to be a lot of work has to be done on um, designing menus because when you're looking at this new way of food service, you're going to possibly have to think of a menu that could be delivered as much as consumed on site. So the design oh, of that, can that, that, that yeah. can that food travel? 
you know, so not all food travels well. So how can you design your menu so that it travels, so that it is profitable as well, that you're reducing Mm -hmm. any risk of waste? Um, You're going to have to as well look at where the critical areas that um, might be vulnerable to consumers' perceptions of hygiene. So, you know, the likes of chef's tables might might no longer be an obvious answer for, for consumers who traditionally would have paid a premium to be there. Now, perhaps they would be nervous of there. How can you make sure you're giving signals on sanitization, on cleanliness all the way through it? And how can you even start innovating into off-premise solutions. So if you're a restaurant, could you suggest meal kits so that you can deliver the meal kit if your food design doesn't suit travel, then how can you to look at that? So what we're trying to do is get our suppliers, so that's the food manufacturers, to start thinking about that so that they're offering solutions to those restaurateurs and giving them then an option to stay in contact and to stay buying from them as well. That's but it's a whole new service. way of thinking, isn't it? It's it sounds so obvious, but I would never, you know, if I had to come up with that list, I, I possibly wouldn't have thought of any of those things. Um, it's yeah, just a whole new way of thinking. It's quite, quite, it's quite a challenge, but I guess um, one, one that everyone is up for. I guess a little more negatively, there was obviously some very um, serious social distancing challenges in our meat factories nationwide. Um, how, uh, and obviously we have some of the lar- country's larger um, meat producers in West Cork. Um, do you think our meat industry here escaped the worst of COVID? Gosh, I'm, Emma, to be honest, I'm not a medical expert, so I wouldn't even I know. know it, to be frank. I, yeah. Like what we're looking at is the impact of it. Um, and I sure. know, and we've spoken to all of the meat industry on this, and, and I know that, you know, the, the HSE has as a local outbreak control team and they're coordinating everything with the with the local plant management as well. There there has been clusters um, and, and because of that, then there was a national outbreak control team established so that you had mm-hmm. professionals from public health, from the environmental health, occupation health, health and safety, animal health and the Department of Agriculture obviously were very involved in that as well. It's not quite a Borbia expertise but what we did want to find out was what was happening and was it affecting um, the ability of farmers to sell and was it affecting the ability of the meat companies to process meat so that they would not leave a customer down. So that that's where our remit is, and that doesn't mean that we're insensitive to what was happening, the huge issues that that they were facing. But I guess all I can speak to is is where our understanding and expertise lies. So we've been obviously um, briefed to the fact that all of the control measures um, from raising awareness to talking to staff about infection prevention measures, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's more than an Irish issue. It's, it's an issue that affects um, people intensive um, manufacturing businesses. So right the way through the globe, meat in particular has, um, has been quite a hit and in the US. Uh, you had um, President Trump declaring uh, national disasters and using laws that he hadn't used since the Korean War in order to help make sure that the consumer had meat on their plate. Now, we had nothing like that in Ireland. So if you're asking me, did we come away likely? I'd have to say, but it depends on what like is like with comparisons. But I do think that the meat industry uh, worked really, really hard on it, worked really, really swiftly on it. Um, And from what we're hearing um, at this stage, are managing to get it under control as well. But I say that as a a non-professional health expert. So I'd 
put I that know. with the grain of salt as well, Emma. I know, I know. Um, I guess we're, we're, you're a West Cork woman, Tara, so I don't need to tell you how blessed we are here that we have such an amazing number of talented food producers. Um, and I guess lots of them deserve great credit for kind of keeping the food supply chain going when there was maybe some, some cracks in the chain from time to time. Do you think that um, that's a positive that's come out of this or anything that we might have learned from that that we could further promote our, our local food producers? Oh, Emma, the, the agility of the entrepreneurs that produce food in Ireland um, never ceases to, to impress uh, to impress me and to impress the team here in Borbia. Um, we yeah. uh, obviously were looking to pivot ourselves and the activities and the supports that we could give to the industry as quickly as possible. Um, but our industry worked so well in partnership and really um, did, did so much in, in, in very extreme conditions. So we've seen a huge number of those companies moving more digital. Um, looking at online solutions for themselves because overnight they lost farmers markets which for many of those very very small artisans was was a huge hit to their business of course. but you yeah. know we, we were in contact with many of them and the retailers in Ireland really supported them very very strongly we engaged very very strongly with all of them and you know we got fast track programs for companies particularly who'd been exposed by either the loss of farmers markets or the loss of food service that they were able to get re- uh, retailer listings either locally or um, oh, yeah. wider afield very very quickly and again retailers as well helped them with um, payment terms so that they they weren't waiting for a month to get and um, to get payments uh, through the systems as well they fast-tracked so much because I think one of the big learnings from this is you need to protect your supply chain and mm-hmm. every part of the supply chain did take that realization I think very very seriously consumers I think there was there was a big learning for all of us on how digitally native we are or we're not and how comfortable we are with that um, and there's been a huge education I think at a global level Emma on people being much more savvy on the internet whether that's with mm-hmm. zoom calls and whether it's parties online or whether it is uh, different communications and even online shopping etc that has taken a big big speed so I think the another learning for our entrepreneurs is the the importance of having that online presence and being able to ensure that you're profitable on that online presence as well that you're able to make it commercially relevant and viable and that involves networking with others and sharing um, experiences with others as well uh, mm-hmm. there's other another learning might be is is managing your route to market so i think a lot of companies would have learned that you'd have and, and and this you know some days it's the right answer some days it isn't i think but many companies are going to reflect a little bit more if i'm uniquely a food service company or if i'm uniquely a retail i might never have seen that as a risk before perhaps i'll reflect yeah. on that again so do I want okay. to have more of a balanced customer? So traditionally, people would have said, I, I look at a balanced customer base to say, I make sure that I'm not just dealing with one retailer or I'm not dealing with just one country, that I will keep it balanced. But it's a new dynamic no one would have ever forecast. Imagine if you closed down all food service. So yes, there's that, new yeah. realities that companies, I guess, are now going to reflect on. We're, we're doing a, um, a lot of work on beyond COVID as well, Emma, from that perspective, what Mm -hmm. we're trying to navigate with companies is what are the behaviours that are going to stick? So we speak now that everyone's going online, but as soon as you're allowed back into the car and as soon as there's a vaccine for COVID, do you know what? Mm -hmm. You'd be just running amok in shops again and will you be shopping nonstop and forget all the hassle of this or not? So what we're trying to understand is which of the behaviours that you've adopted now over the last two and a half months are going to stick? 
and how sticky you, will they you, be? Have you identified? So, okay, have, have, what have you we've identified, kind of identified? We've identified 14 different indicators at the moment that we're watching from a macro level of general behaviour mm -hmm. through to how you behave in a shop, through to how you behave in your home. And what we're then doing is we're testing these um, behaviours with consumers to in different countries around the world to see what's the nuances behind this. So an example, there's, there's yeah. a huge, if I look at general behaviours, there's a huge move, Emma, towards um, protecting, shielding is what we're calling it. And what that means mm -hmm. is, you know, you're wearing face masks, you're wearing gloves. And what you're now looking to do is make sure that your family are staying healthy and you're challenging what's the role of food in that thought. So if I'm going to protect myself from the outside, shouldn't I protect myself from the inside as well? And then what sure. food choices will I make as a result of that? And they're becoming much more conscientious of I want to have good food, I want to have really natural food, I want full of vitamins, food, so there's a lot of talk of, is there a connection between COVID and vitamin D? What's the function yeah. of foods? You had at the very beginning of this a lot of vitamin C to kind of keep you healthy as well. So you know, will that stick? Will you keep really focusing on how good, eating good food? Obviously, there's another movement towards scratch cooking. Lots of people, mm -hmm. I think, have got educated on um, surviving through COVID and being able to cook their way through COVID. How fast or not will you forget that? Is that a life skill that has now embedded into the nation? Um, and will you always have those recipes that they'll be your go-to recipes? Or mm -hmm. will you go back to the, the, the restaurants as fast as you can and buy your lunch outside or not. Um, you're also then seeing other pieces on um, what will you, how will you judge where you shop? So will you still look for health and well-being or will you look for health and safety? So health and well-being was the driver, I'd say, for the last decade. But yeah. safety proof points are becoming more and more important to consumers. So what will you expect and how fast or not will you will you get over this? So they're the types of things and all of these has a huge impact then Emma on the food that will and, and the messages that our food industry can give uh, on how they package their products, on the message that they'll have on the pack and then how they relate and tell that story to consumers as well to make sure that um, that they're the first choice for consumers yeah. throughout the world. My goodness, it's um, it's absolutely fascinating, and um, so much, so many things that never even occurred to me. So it sounds like you must be one of the busiest people in the country at the moment, Tara. But as if you actually weren't busy enough, you just you're just out the other side of Bloom 2020. That was obviously very different this year, um, and so many of us couldn't make the regular annual pilgrimage there. But um, how did it all go um, virtually? It was a very different experience. I think it's the first time I have been at home for the June Bank holiday weekend ever for 14 <laughs> years. So oh from that word. perspective, it had highs, highs and lows. Um, <laughs> we, we put a lot of work into it because from our perspective, this is an amazing opportunity, particularly for our horticulture industry to shine. Yeah. And it's also an opportunity for our artisan and entrepreneurial food industry, the smaller business to engage with consumers and, and we were so disappointed when we had to, to cancel the real bloom imagine, because as we, all were. Um, we had even bigger and better plans for this year but we felt that how do you bring some of that magic, it's not the same, but how do you bring some of that magic into people's homes and gardens for it and, and that was what our ambition was. Now we were so proud that um, our patron President Higgins 
uh, engaged with it for it. And, you know, he is such a, a magnet for the event and the engagement yeah. that uh, consumers had with him and the messages that he gave were absolutely fantastic. We um, and, and he called out, I guess, the real purpose of Bloom from bringing so much of our communities together to celebrate what is the best of Ireland, to give strong messages, be that on sustainability, be that on you know, caring for each other, being that on, you know, watching for more vulnerable issues as well. So what we were trying to do then in the course of, of Sunday was find different ways of bringing those messages to life. And we did that then with, with Bloom at Home and we had um, some live videos throughout the day. We had yeah. cooking demonstrations with Nevin Maguire and Donald Skeen. We had gardening discussions with different Bloom judges on everything from how, what's the inside track on super gardens, what's the inside track to design almost a more healthy space in your garden. Um, and we also wanted um, to have a bit of fun in it. So we did uh, as well then link in with RTE for um, a fantastic engagement with those. So what we wanted to do was create photos of gardens so that we had this competition in, in conjunction with them so that people were able to upload to us the fun they were having in their gardens, the outputs that they'd had, whether it was in a balcony, whether it was on um, a window box, whether it was a crack in the in their garden, etc. And uh, believe it or not, of of the the five uh, winners, two of them came from Cork. So we oh, had nice. the the best the best nature friendly space came from Cork, and the um the best crack the best garden crack came from um from oh. Pomoy in Cork as well. Oh, um, well that must have been nice. Um, yeah, no, I think, it, I think a lot of the blue magic was captured there. It was great, and hopefully hopefully we'll all be back um, for next year, all going well. Um, I guess in a, in a sort of completely different tangent now, I know Boyd's Beer were involved um, in a recent survey, guess, I guess, trying to understand the challenges facing women in in the workplace to try and, you know, accelerate diversity in industry. Um that was obviously a major a major piece of um, work, but could you maybe just bring us through some of the key findings and anything that particularly surprised you? Absolutely, Emma. So what we were looking to do, and, and, and our ambition in this space is we want to make the food and drink industry the most attractive place for people to work compared to any other industry. So if you looked yeah. at, say, pre-COVID, where Ireland Inc. is almost at full employment, what we're trying to look at is an environment that people choose to work in the food industry. So the best and the brightest will come and work in our sector. And when we're looking then at this war for talent, then what does that look like and how do you position the food industry to shine in that space? So we were looking then to create the proof points and almost like do all a gap analysis, I guess, in so many ways to say, where are we strong? Where could we get stronger? What are the toolkits that we need? So when we looked at this topic, it's about diversity and inclusion is, is the top element of it. And what we looked to do then, when we look at the topic of diversity and inclusion, it's immense, Emma. It covers everything. But what we said is, okay, we can't cover everything. We're a relatively uh, small organization. Most of the people who are, and we wanted this to be an industry rather than just a Borbia event. So we engaged with industry and we have a task force. We had an advisory council, all made up of industry, volunteering their time to navigate this because they felt they all are aligned on the idea they want the best people to work in this industry. 
So what we then decided, and we, we kicked this off back in 2017-18 when we initially started, what we decided was if you start this, you, you could go so many, you could look at uh, age diversity, you could cover race diversity, you could cover gender diversity, you could cover sexual diversity. There's so many elements of the diversity agenda. Yeah. We chose gender because what the research told us was if you win on the gender battle, so many of the other jobs get done. So we said, okay, well, you need a starting point. Let's start with gender and then we'll progress, I guess, as we do that, we'll progress the other issues. So that's what we did. And this now is our second survey that we, we issued where we're looking at the industry, talking about itself to say, where where is it going? So there's a, a, an organization called the 30% Club and they're yeah. experts on the gender diversity topic. So they're a, a volunteer organization that has set up to try and understand, can you get 30% of board representation, senior leadership representation as being a, in some ways gender balanced at, at 30 and ideally then 50%. So we, we lent into the 30% Club to give us that expertise. And then what we wanted to do is, is have data because you can have a gut feel on so many of these topics, but if you don't have facts and figures, it's very hard to know that you're, you're moving in the right direction. Sure. And I guess the, the great news of, of, of this particular piece of work was what it effectively told us is 85% of business leaders in the agri-food industry have stated that attracting and developing female talent is, is, is going, they, they know that it will impact on their business growth prospects. And that for that perspective, it's, it's huge in that once our, our leaders know that it's an issue that they want to tackle and that they're serious about mm-hmm. tackling, you're kind of nearly there already. And even okay. a very, very similar figure is, is, is important as well, is that 84% of them said that gender equality and diversity are priorities for their organization. So they're your, your great starting point. Okay. So if I'm somebody who wants to come and work in the food industry, I, I know the business leaders are serious about this. The challenge bit with this yeah. is that employees don't hear that. So when we ask employees, do they believe, so we, we did this survey one section was for the leaders, the CEOs and the, and the directors, and one then was for the employees of the industry. And the employees felt that that figure at 84% of where the business leaders believed that they know it's a priority. It's only 63% of the employees thought that it was. So okay, the, the interesting why, piece... Why are they not hearing each other? Exactly. So this is us having to peel away that data. And what we're finding is mm. that so many of the business leaders feel that they're doing it without putting vocab around it, that of course we're doing it because it's the right thing to do and we want the best people in our business, but they're not describing it to their staff in a way that their staff okay. is hearing. So okay. it's, it's, it's about almost equipping our leaders with the vocab and the systems and structure to send that message out strongly. So we're creating toolkits for the industry to be able to represent itself at an even better level. But the commitment is there from the beginning, which is fantastic. And the second promising. piece then yeah. is, is, is that we're pushing this through to employees so that they're hearing it. So it's not just that mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of that they're waiting to be told that we're bringing it up on their agenda so that they're looking for the signs of what actually this means. So, so much of this is about the enablers of flexibility for so many businesses, what's important to them. So if I'm an employee and I'm looking to work for someone, 
Yeah, you'll have salaries, you'll have the industry, but most people want to work in the food industry because they see it as an exciting industry, they see it as a brand building industry, they see it as a growth industry. And now we have to build up its brand to say that it's also a welcoming, diverse industry as well that'll attract even more talent for us. Okay. Um and I guess obviously you're um you're female and you're CEO of Boards Bia. Um I'm just kind of curious, like personally, Tara, have you come up against any professional challenges in your career as as a female or found any situation off-putting or unwelcome? Absolutely not. I I find the food and drink industry fantastic, which is why I'm Mm -hmm. I'm so committed to this topic, because sometimes our our industry, I think, can be viewed uh, wrongly as male, pale and stale which is, to me, nothing can be more from the truth than that. Because if you look at this industry, that's a purpose-driven industry. It's a growth industry. You know, show me too many industries that that are as mature as our food industry and grew by 67% in the last decade. You know, so if you're looking at any person who wants to have a career that's going to be uh, fast-moving, that is looking at... um, internationally that's looking at global opportunities but actually makes an impact on the world i would say that i'm one of the most lucky people in ireland having a job that i have in the, in the food industry in ireland wow I'm, I'm tempted to send my cv into you now you're making it sound so amazing <laughs> <laughs> um before we wrap up Tara, i'm just nosy really how has lockdown been for you i know your 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 job typically involves an awful lot of travel you're dublin based so clearly you've been um, confined to barracks a little bit How's, and, and you've obviously got a family and all the rest how have things been and working the, the logistics yeah it's um, it's been interesting I guess from from a business perspective it's been very very busy Emma we've as you can yeah. gather from all of the work that we, we've been putting down it, uh, it's yeah, been long days for most part of it um, from a business we're fully working but we're working from home uh, so mm-hmm. we've, we've been set up for that because we travel so much we're quite agile from where you plug in your computer is where you're working so from yeah. that perspective we didn't have any big technological problems uh, we're putting an awful lot more work into our internal staff communications because we're very very conscious that it's an unsettling time for everybody and no one has gone through one of these before as a global pandemic so we we think it's 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 hugely important to spend more time talking to to team members talking to everybody so that that has obviously that takes time and and, and that's a huge priority for me Um, Mm and we're we're trying to get used to new technological solutions so having a board meeting by um, by a Skype business is very different from being able to sit around the table with everybody and have conversations face to face so personally it's more challenging I guess to read a room Emma in this environment than it is from a a normal day and where I've, I've a fantastic husband who has taken a lot of the heavy lifting on school the kids uh, so yeah. I've, I, as you mentioned I have three children um, we've just had uh, the summer exams for my eldest who's in first year um, and my other two are addicted to RTE and being schooled by them as well uh, so you know we're, we're getting a new we're getting a new regime I think we've never spent as much time in our own house normally we would be up and down the road to Cork whether it was the main, like you know this is the first bank holiday weekends that we've been uh, at home normally it's, it's automatic that we'd be down in West Cork for um, not for the bloom but for the for the previous and um, mm-hmm. so that that's the, the the only piece is that we've we've had no contact other than we're now writing letters to Cork 
um, much more okay. frequently and Cork is writing uh, handwriting letters back to us. So that's the, the one that's shame that we'd love to um, be down there a little bit like, more walking yeah. into Donny Beach. That's what I was going to ask you just to wrap up, Tara. Like, I guess when, when, when you finally can, it'll probably be, be the end of July. But what are you um, most looking forward to doing when you can get back back to West Cork? You mentioned into Donny Beach. Is oh. that a highlight? It is. I guess it's seeing my mum is the um, is yeah, the number one okay. priority. Um, so she's cocooning very carefully in West Cork. But the, so the number one priority is to get down to see herself, um, and obviously then see the family after that. Um, but obviously then it's it's the sea air. It's walking the beach. It's walking into Clan. It's uh, you know nothing like getting the uh, the trip to Scallies and the the Clonakilty black footing. You know, so we can get the Clonakilty black footing here in Dublin. But um, I don't know it always tastes better at home. <laughs> I can only imagine, and again, hopefully, well, hopefully, the, it won't be um, too long coming now to July twentieth, and you'll you'll be right back back home. Listen, Tara, as always, it was absolutely lovely talking to you. I'm really grateful for your time. Um, you're clearly extremely busy. Learn to know for lots of our chat, and um, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Tara. Thanks, Emilia. Stay safe. Mind yourself. Bye bye. Now, this week's musical treat comes from Clannacilty-based musician and composer Justin Grounds he's, and his Lockdown Choir, singing part of their oratorium, The Embracing Universe. They hope to have the whole work uh, done by the end of the COVID-19 episode, which is an amazing testament to this extraordinary group of singers and musicians across the world. So, listen and enjoy. Reflection is, as the word indicates, the power required by a consciousness to turn itself upon itself as an object endowed with its own particular consistency and value. Thank you for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you, Jack. And goodbye for now.
Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie